Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to thank all of you and through you, the countless congregations that I have served, the supporters of Lyft Ministries for 10 years. Because of the generosity of the church toward those who are going to be pastors, I have I've been able to uh, go to seminary, read and study Greek, although I'm no expert. Sometimes being able to peer into the Greek will just unlock a passage. And I'll sit in my study sometimes, and my eyes get misty as I get older, but I think, what a powerful privilege. And how, how wrong that not everybody gets a chance to do this. So I have that chance, and I am indebted to all of you for that. And I hope that on some days I can get out of the way far enough to share with you some of what has been opened to me in my time in the study. And this is one of those Sundays, this is one of those scripture passages that really makes me want to uh, sort of pull up a, a camp stool and pitch a tent and say, we should spend some time here. This is a marvelous passage, but there are words all through the passage that are clues that just explode all over us. It says here in the scriptures that Jesus, aware of their malice, but the Greek word is much, much harder than malice, aware of their evil, perceived that they were trying to entrap him. And he says, why are you putting me to the test? Why are you testing me? And the words used there are the same words used to describe the tempter that came to Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew in the fourth chapter when he went out and fasted and prayed for 40 days and was tested. Where the tempter took him up to the top of the temple and said, throw yourself down, the angels will come and they will bear you up. And Jesus said, you should not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. And then showed Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world, and said, if you will just prostrate yourself and bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. When you see those words in the Greek, your mind goes immediately back there. Goes to Matthew 6, where you see the words of the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into the time of testing. Same words. It's clear that though there are Pharisees and Herodians in this passage, this is another hour of testing for Jesus. A time when the church will be tested again. And Matthew has recorded it because the early church found itself struggling over and over again, constantly being tested. It seems as though the testing is never finished. The world keeps sifting the church, and we have to continually strive to understand what it is that that God is seeking for his people, his church. The testing continues as it continued in the time of Jesus. Pharisees and Herodians, they hated each other. 
For Rome, the invaders of Jerusalem in the time of Jesus had authorized or supported or endorsed a king named Herod. And in order to gain the Romans' endorsements, this king named Herod had sold out to the Roman way. Had said, yes, come on in. You can set up camp right here in Jerusalem. Everything will be fine. So you have a puppet king who has made a deal with a, a foreign entity. You never see politicians doing this kind of thing today anywhere in the world. But this was pure politics. And the first thing that the people from Rome, the Roman invaders, the people representing the emperor did was they, they instituted something called a poll tax. The Greek word is a word that you'll recognize because it comes up every 10 years in our life as Americans. Census. Census. It's a poll tax. Every head of every Jew will be counted and everyone will be taxed. And the Pharisees hated it because it involved getting hold of money that the Romans had authorized. No unauthorized Roman coins were allowed anywhere in the realm. You had to, now that they were under Roman rule, use only Roman currency. There was a problem. There was an inscription on the Roman currency, a picture, a graven image, an idolatrous image of Caesar himself, and an inscription on most coins that read, Tiberius Caesar, the august son of Caesar Augustus, high priest. So this wasn't just money, but it was money making a point. You now are under the rule of Caesar. Caesar is a semi-divine appointed by God as the high priest of the whole empire. No wonder the Pharisees hated the very sight of this money. And no wonder at the threshold of the temple they set up money changers who would take the Roman currency which could not be allowed into the temple and exchange it for temple currency which had no graven image, was just a chunk of metal so that whatever was taken into the holy places in the temple to buy sacrifices would not displease the God of Israel. Did you follow all that? Can you imagine what happened to the price of the money exchange during the high holy days? As visitors from around the world came to make their sacrifice, all of a sudden the exchange rate for temple currency goes shooting right up through the roof. They were making a fair bit of coin even as they were complaining. Herodians, on the other hand, not the Pharisees, Herodians were all for the Roman presence because with the Romans came schools, came aqueducts and clean water, came sewer systems and good roads, the kind of roads that last for centuries, even millennia. There came a kind of peace to the area where the rebellion was squelched down and we had Pax Romana and yes, yes, we had to put up with the Roman way and yes, there was a little bit of religious fussiness but on the whole, the Romans brought a, a, a peacefulness. You could see the Pharisees and Herodians standing nose to nose in the temple precincts every day arguing with each other. Well, what are you going to do for the children if the Romans are gone? The economy will crash and the Pharisees say, they're unholy people. They need to be out of here. They're pagans. Back and forth it went. You turn on the TV, you'll see the same thing happening all over the place. 
And so Jesus comes to the temple. This is Tuesday before he would give his life for all of us. And the Pharisees are looking for a way to move him to the side. And so they form a brief and strange alliance with the Herodians. And they send them off, their disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians, to question Jesus with a question that can have no possible answer. If Jesus says, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, the Herodians are going to cheer and the Pharisees are going to set their hair on fire. But if he says, no, these taxes represent an abomination before God, the Pharisees will cheer and the Herodians are going to accuse Jesus, who is so accepting of tax collectors and sinners and everyone else, of being a hypocrite and, and drawing a line of exclusion. Notice what they said to him. Teacher, we know that you show no partiality to anyone, but you accept everyone. Did you hear it? They trapped him. They, they backed him into a corner. And now there are people standing in front of him, and he knows whatever he says, somebody's going to be upset Oh, how complicated the world becomes. And for some reason, there are those who like the complication. They want to make it harder. They want to draw lines and distinctions and separations. When God is trying to fulfill that scripture, which we now know that Paul wrote, that God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. But here we go, even in our generation, trying to divide and set apart, and push away. When Christ should be at the center of our message, and we should be doing all that we can to gather people in to the Lordship of Christ. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So Jesus, full of the Spirit, recognizing the treachery, recognizing that it's a trap, recognizing the presence of the tempter, says to them, all right, show me the coin. They're standing inside the temple where no coins with the inscription of Caesar are allowed. And magically, the Pharisees have some in their pocket. We were talking about hypocrisy. Show me the coin. And they show it to him. And he asked them, whose inscription was this? <laughs> it's Caesar's, yeah. And here in the Greek, it is so stark. Just five or six little words. Of Caesar to Caesar. From God to God. That's all I have to say to you. And they shook their heads and walked away because there was really nothing else to say. You know, there's so much wiggle room in that translation. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. Sounds so holy when you say it that way. Here's another way that you could actually translate it without doing any damage to the text at all. Give to God that which belongs to God, and let Caesar have what's coming to him. <laughs> I like that one, don't you? Give to God what is God's. You know what is God's? Do you know what belongs to God? 
The awful thing about this passage for me is that Jesus never answers that part. He sets up a principle that will guide us as we seek to live in a very complicated world that is full of secular interests, pagan interests, and Christian interests. And we believers have to decide every day what to do about that. Now, Matthew is no uh, author of the Star Wars you know, uh, sagas. He doesn't actually believe that there is a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. He doesn't actually believe that there are two realms. Matthew is a monotheist because the Bible is written by people who believe that there is one God, one God alone, and only God shall you serve. And clearly Jesus, when he was asked on the subject, said, this is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And there's another one like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And on this, all of the rest of the law and the prophets depend. Matthew was a monotheist. But while we're living our way in this world, we're going to come up against people who believe other than us. Some of them very powerful. Some of them who claim dominion over us. We're going to be citizens of countries in this world, in a world that is divided every which way from Sunday. And what Matthew was trying to communicate to the church, what Jesus was trying to say in his day is that every single one of us continue the time of testing. Each of us must make a discernment in our own lives. What belongs to God and what belongs to Caesar? I got on my car today and I drove down to the church and I decided to come around and come up over the hill on Imperial Highway. It turns into cannon down at your end of the world. And as I came up over the hill, the sun was just beginning to kiss the skyscrapers in downtown Santa Ana. And I could see across to a bright blue sea and with almost no haze, I could see the tops and the canyons and the coastline of Catalina Island just setting out there. And I was driving on roads that were glass smooth. And I'm living in a country where I can get up every Sunday and come to worship. And all of this is provided by people who have gone before. I'm standing on the shoulder of giants, giants of industry, Giants of science, giants of political savvy, people who were revolutionary in their thinking about what self-governance can mean for a nation. And yes, I'm standing on the shoulders of soldiers, men and women, who have gone into harm's way so that I can drive down a road seeing a beautiful sunrise and listening to praise songs on my radio. I owe somebody something for that, don't you think? I owe somebody something. So what of that belongs to Caesar? And what of that belongs to God? I've been able to spend 40 or 50 hours a week in my study and praying with members of the church for 35 years. I don't have to sit on a freeway in commuter traffic to get to my workspace every day. The church has given me the privilege of devoting my whole life, my whole public life, to the worship and praise of God and to seeking the deeper things. I owe somebody something for that, don't you think? What is it that I owe? 
Who do I owe it to? How much belongs to God and how much belongs to that part of the church which likes to become like Caesar? What do we owe and to whom? It's a question no pastor can answer for you. It's a, it's a question not even Jesus wanted to answer for you. He just wanted to invite you in to the time of testing. To take seriously the idea that you are a steward of your own life and to sit down and to order your stewardship in such a way that in the final working out of all things, people will look at how you spent your life and say, wow, there was a Christian, no mistaking it. There can be no doubt about it. That was somebody devoted to Jesus and his way. You with me on this? Hmm. Is our anthem, Jesus loves me, this I know? As we march out the door in the morning, are we singing, money loves me, here I go? There was a beautiful video from Northern California that was posted on YouTube a week ago. Did you see it? A bunch of American Samoan, they call them hand fighters, firefighters. They go into the hot spots and they, they kill all the hot spots and they, and they do hand-to-hand -hand combat with forest fires. And they said, just turn your sound up and watch. And for about 20 seconds, there was just a picture of a dirt trail in the middle of a burned out forest and you really couldn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden you start to hear it. And there's hallelujahs and lofty singing. They're singing in Samoan. So you don't know what it is. But you recognize the tune. And then you start to hear the hallelujah. And you realize that these Christian firefighters from American Samoa are just walking down the trail. And they decided that on their way back to the rest area, they would sing Christian hymns together to mark the time as they walked along and to remind them to whom they belonged. How much better can your day be every day in, 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 instead of singing hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. You're singing about the love of Christ for you. <laughs> and that kind of wraps this passage up in a bow. Give to God what is God's. What is God's? What is God's? What is God's? You are. You are. Every one of you. You belong to God. You come from God. You are made in God's image. And how will you give that back? so that Caesar has no claim on your life. It's a puzzle. I haven't worked it all out yet, but the testing continues, and that's a good thing. Amen?